Mongus is a podcast produced by Mong American Media located in Sacramento, California and sponsored by the Long Organizing for Progress and Empowerment Center, Hope Center, along with Culture Through Cloth. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your host, Pachia. And, and we, we are, are Mongish. Mongish is a podcast where Pachia and I share our thoughts on anything and all things Mong, diving into our own personal experiences of what it means to be Hmong American and Hmong in today's time. Today, we are going to be talking about shamanism, um, specifically Hmong shamanism. For those of you who might not know, the Hmong practice shamanism. And I'm really excited because we actually have our first guest on the show, um, who is herself a shaman. I've known Susan for... Um, maybe a few years now. Um, she is a distinguished master shaman. She also holds a master's degree in education. Um, and she has been practicing shamanism now for the past 14 years. And so she's traveled all throughout the U.S. She's also traveled in Southeast Asia, helping to heal and educate people about her gift as a shaman. Um, and she is also the founder of Uplift the Human Spirit, which is a nonprofit organization that works to empower and unify the Hmong people, preserving Hmong language, culture, and religion. So welcome, Susan. Thank you so much welcome for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah, so... Um, Today, we're going to be really like talking to you about what monk shamanism is, um, also hoping to dive more into some of the specifics about who you are as a shaman and um, share with our listeners like maybe some of the cases that you encounter and help people with. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. So maybe we can start with you telling us just a little bit more about what shamanism is. Okay. Um, shamanism is um, not a religion. It's a practice um, very common amongst um, animism religion. So most um, cultures that are indigenous, um, they do practice shamanism. So not just Hmong, but there's a lot of other um, ethnicities that also practice shamanism. And shamanism is basically the um, belief in a practitioner, uh, which is called the shaman. And the shaman is the kind of like the mediator between both worlds, the living and the spirit world. And not only do we mediate or communicate with bo both worlds trying to balance it, um, we also try to heal people and also spirits, by the way, um, along the way. So that's that's what shamanism is. Okay. Wow, very <laughs> interesting. So um, you said a lot of shamans are practiced in cultures that believe in animism and animism <laughs> is a religion. Is religion. I, I caught that too. Yes. I'm like, wow, tell us more yeah. about that. Like, yeah, tell us more about animism, animism as a yeah. religion. So animism um, for a lot of Western um, scholars, um, they basically name um, all of the um, indigenous people animism. That's so true. these are like very old ancient beliefs, right. which you find more common like with Native Americans or mm -hmm. any indigenous tribe in any country. Yeah. Um, so that's and animism basically is the belief of, of uh, like being one with Mother Nature, um, mm -hmm. where everything has a spirit, spiritual energy. We have to be kind. All life matters. So very Eastern, um, if you want to label it, like very Eastern ways of thinking. Okay. Um, um, so if you relate it that way, it's, um, but animism is basically that the the belief of all natural phenomena having some sort of some sort of spirit or spiritual energy. Interesting. Oh. Very interesting. Let's dive in to know more about you, uh, Susan. So how did you become a shaman? So um, 
shamanism for most cultures is the same, but for Hmong culture, it may be different from other cultures. So I'm talking about how um, me or for the Hmong culture. So how did I become a shaman? Uh, for So for the Hmong culture, normally what we call is we go through this shaman sickness or a monangna, that's what we call it. So um, these are like unexplainable sickness and it varies and everybody's really different. Uh, for me um, per se, it was like starting to, I was in my college years and starting to hear voices or, or and like unexplainable illnesses where you go to the doctors and they're basically saying you're absolutely fine and it's all in your head mm -hmm. and after two three years of that um so um and we'll get and get into the mind body spirit so after the uh doctors couldn't really uh discover what was going on with me we went to uh, several shamans actually and then what you would do was try to get a reading or shayai to see what was wrong with you since mm -hmm. the doctors don't know what's wrong with you and after that what you do is after the shayai or actually the diagnosis from a spiritual practitioner um and if they recognize that you uh, do have the capability of becoming a shaman, then a shaman has to be um, um, ready or um, um, willing, that's the word I'm looking for, willing to take you in. So you can't just kind of really like one day wake up and say, you know what, I think I'm a shaman today. You can't, mm -hmm. like someone else has to recognize and say that you do have the ability to. Um, and then that that's exactly my story. And then I finally found my master and it fit. And here I am since then, 14 years. I know that every shaman to my understanding kind of has their own practice so can you share more about like your philosophy or your practice um, what type of shamanism that you practice um for our culture it's it's very um different so um we kind of separate it um in two um, mm -hmm. categories where it's the new age or neng chia neng shao and then also the old age or the neng gong, which is uh, ever since the beginning of time that they've been practicing um i think the for the philosophy i think most of us is uh, like about the same where we're about like healing and just um helping um people in general mm -hmm. uh, for me per se um it's just really helping people in general regardless of um gender race or religion after like you realize that you know you were kind of on this journey of becoming a shaman like what were some of the trials and tribulations that you went through or were there any trials and tribulations well first and foremost um i didn't really grow up in a um, spiritual or religious family mm -hmm. so uh, my dad was like a stickler on you know you get what you um, put in right and so everything was um the, the belief of if you don't see you don't believe and so growing up like that and very like scientific um i used to major in pre-med so like super scientific the hardest thing for me besides and we'll get into that later but um, the hardest thing for me was proving to myself that I was um, gifted and that mm -hmm. I can do this. Um, um, uh, contrary to belief, uh, we don't have anybody in our family that's a shaman. And um, usually um, the elders always talk about, oh, it's in your family, your grandma, your dad, your mm -hmm. uncle, anybody. But for us, if you trace uh, back four or five generations on both sides, my mom or my dad, we don't have any shamans in our family. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of backlash and a lot of like, uh, is in it In your just family? Yeah, in my family, uh, both my mom's side and my dad's side. So not just my family, but relatives, even other people, but uh, uh, absolutely from our family, um, relatives also, um, because it, it just wasn't um, common. And, it, and that wasn't how it, 
like Etsy is or how uh-huh. it always was. But you said you received backlash too? Yes, definitely. Um, because I, I I call it three strikes. So when you think of a shaman in our culture, people think about an older man Mm -hmm. who's traditional and being born here i was young i was single not married and also i was you know a woman Uh so the backlash of like who does she think she is why does she want to sit at and i've heard it all well why does she want to sit at tables with men and and things like that but in reality i was still going through my journey like wait is this real Mm -hmm. i grew up here i was born here i've never really seen um you know uh like a name um performance at my house maybe twice when I was like six right but like it wasn't common so um I and again remember this is 14 years ago so it Uh wasn't as common as it is nowadays where I see a lot of women or a much younger generation um like in their 20s or even in their teens that are doing it and back then when I started uh, I'm not saying there wasn't any but it was just very rare And, and and not even just the young younger shamans but I didn't even really see any woman shamans when I became one I only knew of two shamans that were women. So um, it was it was a different time. And it was really difficult becoming one. For those of us who don't know, like for me, and I go to a, uh, you know, a ordaining to call somebody, right? <laughs> How would I pick up the cue to know, know that? Oh, no, her name is Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, like, very that's, good question. That is a great question. Yeah. I um, wouldn't know either. I wrote about this on my blog. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have a blog. Good to know. <laughs> Um, but for Ning Chen and Koso, let me be very careful here because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And there is a lot of um, dilemma, here, um, uh, like just disagreements between the Ning or the or we call the old shamans and the new shamans. Literal translation um, and the proper way of saying is Ning or that means the um, Ning ancestors and the Ning um, They kind of just lump everyone in together, which just means New Age Ning which isn't really fair because they're so different. Um, but like we, but because um, it's new, it's just like okay, you're all part of the new age. So, mm-hmm. so it it varies and it's super different. So the difference um, and and don't always assume, but uh, right away um, you can tell from their outfits. Okay. And so I would say like three-fourths of the time. If you see a shaman with, it uh, doesn't really matter the outfit because it depends if they're, you know, green or white and what, and how their psyched is also. But if they're um, their Hmong outfit and if they have a black veil mm-hmm. or hood, however you want to call it, um, now normally that signifies that or the the old age, Ning ancestor. Okay. It's not always true, so don't always assume. Okay. But majority of the time, um, that's how you tell. And if it's Ning Chia, they're different. You can see them, some of them, wearing like um the outfit it, it it varies it can be all white but normally if the hood is not black it can be white it can be um, commonly most commonly it's red okay. um red or white even sometimes yellow that oh. definitely signifies that learning show or the ninja the new age name that's interesting that you can tell by clothing because mm-hmm. yeah. you know I study clothing. I'm like <laughs> ding ding ding, interesting. That's, that's another research topic. I know another sure. research topic. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding shamanism through uh, their clothing. Through yeah. their clothing. Yeah. So you practice a type of new age shamanism then. Mm-hmm. Correct. And um, can you tell us more? So my understanding of shamans, they have shaman guides, and so when you say like uh, 
Zigong. Zigong, meaning ancestors. And that means that the shaman guides come from the ancestors. Is that correct? No, um, we just call that because it's it's how it's been since the beginning of time. So it, the whole um, traditional belief of it has to be from your ancestors. It has to be part of your lineage. Okay. So ancestors, it has to be part of your lineage. Oh, um, so okay. every shaman. Meaning they, that you have shamans in your lineage. In your family, oh, yes, in your lineage. Okay. So from ancestors, from your oh, lineage. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, um, so for the spiritual guides, no shaman can exist without spiritual guides. Okay. Uh, you can't just... In like, Hmong shamanism. In Hmong shamanism, okay. yes. So you have to have spiritual guides to enable to um, um, guide you because there's no way that I can know what happened at your house three months ago when, I, when I've never met you. It mm-hmm. has to be the spirits or the, um, yeah, the spirits and, um, you know, the energy around you that tells me that that happened. So that's why we're able to draw from that. Otherwise, a normal um, person wouldn't be able to tell you that. When you become a shaman, how do you know what spirit guides? are good to keep it's not your job to do that it's the duty of your uh master that does that so when you're um so to become a master shaman um you have to have students of your own so um so when i do have um a new um student shaman um uh, what we do is we have to go in we look at what they do uh, we guide them teach them mentor them and uh the spirits that i can't say that they're not good it's more if you think about like um like a like nana it's more like a public service right Mm -hmm. so if you're going to do a public service um speech you want to choose the ones that are more mellow right Uh and then and so i can't say that those spiritual guys aren't good it's more of like they're kind of naughty or they speak their mind too much right so then if you leave them you don't want them to create chaos amongst um the people that the shaman is helping or so so it's more of um what we do is we separate them or in our in our uh, language in mongna we call it which means filter so we filter out so we only leave the good spiritual or the or the tamed i should say uh special guys with our students and then the other ones that are not um yet tamed yet what we do is we send them back to heaven or where they come from and then they relearn and then when they're um up to par they can come back and then some they don't and they just stay up there so it's a it's a longer process but that that's the duty of the um your master how do you know if you're capable to or the level of name that you are supposed to do is it communicated through your spirit guides or is just a task that you're you're like trial and error (laughs) is it your guides telling you like back off don't do this or it's a combination of everything um so um i along with um am, am very similar to your aunt where most of my cases they are super heavy um by the i i used to joke and call myself like the last resort girl because normally when the cases by the time they come to me i'm like the third or fourth shaman that's trying to help the people already um i do get other cases um but majority of my cases are that way so what happens is um in the beginning no one knows um, anything your your master will try to guide you as much as possible uh, but then it's like self-discovery and also um, they'll give you guidelines like okay if you're on the first level or second level you shouldn't do this type of um none yet or you shouldn't handle this type of case yet but um for me because my master felt that i was okay um i was only practicing probably about three months and she basically said you know do what you need to do 
And you and so like um, when your master kind of gives you the A-OK or mm-hmm. permission to do what you need to do, then it's like kind of free for all. And so ever since I've been practicing for approximately uh, five months, I've been helping outsiders. Because another thing about shamans is that we have to start in-house and you're not permit to help outsiders, even if they're the same like, let's say it's your sister, but she's married and now she's part of, like, the Lee clan or the Tao clan. And she's so no in-house longer, meaning within your clan? Immediate, yeah. W- immediate family. Yeah, and... Um, Yes, and within your clan and the same Nakona, so lineage. Okay. So even if they're the wow, same okay. last name, and but Nakochiyana, then you can't even practice that in the beginning uh-huh. until you're until a certain level and until your master says. Um, oh, that's yes, interesting. Okay. okay. So can you tell us more about your abilities? Because you kind of mentioned that you know it took you a while to kind of figure out if these abilities were real or not. And so, what are your abilities? So I wear a lot of hats. Um, in the beginning, it's a little bit different. In the beginning, it was just me uh, accepting the fact that this is even real, that spirituality and spirits even existed. Because remember, my mindset was scientific. If you can't see it, it's not. It's not true. Mm-hmm. So I had to really kind of jump through that hoop and also being um, not uh, being different from American mainstream and how we grew up. I always wanted it to be um I mean, to fit in, right? And so then when this kind of came on me, I had to like do a 180 and really study myself and and uh, to see if this is real. Because cause a lot of people, because I didn't have um, the lineage of shamanism in my family, a lot of people were saying that it was fake. And me, if you know, obviously you know me, I don't like anything like fake or wrong and then me portraying this to, out into the world that I'm a shaman when it's fake because it's not in my lineage. So, so when... Um, discovering myself was more of that um um it wasn't necessarily um my gifts because at that time we weren't aware yet Mm -hmm. um every shaman is very different um with their niche and whatever they're um like comfortable in doing um so with me um i do the whole gamma so not every shaman is comfortable with for example herbs or massaging or things like that so i do all of the above um not only do i perform nine performances and rituals and hoopling and stuff like that i do do um you know a lot of like massage or if you think of an old uh, mong grandma uh, you know the plaza mocho that's me that's me i do all of that and then also i do um do a lot of the energy practices such as you know a lot of people commonly know as like reiki or energy Mm -hmm. work um you know so all of the above so if you name it i might say yeah (laughs) so that i do wear that hat Okay. okay what are some things that you know you want the people to know about shamanism first and foremost i kind of want to touch a little base on the history of shamanism and um shamanism is with cave writings and all this evidence um it's approximately fifty thousand years old so with that we've um you know stand the test of time and with something that ancient that old um nowadays there are things that uh, you know we do need to change and kind of progress with time um but then again we have as uh, the Hmong community i do want to speak about not just um disregarding or like uh, doing away with it i hear that a lot especially from the ladies also because there's a lot of a uh, misunderstanding that we don't really talk about and that we don't understand so when you don't understand about something then you don't care about it so what i want 
everyone to know um, is that as a human being, there are three pillars that make us strong and whole. And that's the mind, body, spirit that we've been hearing so much about. And so if you think about it, psychiatrists or therapists, they're um, responsible for the mind or the mental part. And doctors, physicians are responsible for our physical being. And so shamans, we're responsible for the spirituality side. So if any of these pillars were to collapse, the person would eventually, you know, pass on. So these three pillars have to be safe and strong. So with shamanism, uh, and shamans, actually, um, that's where people come to me when they need spiritual healing, spiritual help. So no matter how physically tough and strong you are, and no matter how um, mindful and how mentally strong you are, if you're lacking in the spiritual department, eventually you'll start getting sick, and then the other pillars will start to collapse with it. So that's what we uh, I want people to know, that that it's not something that you can um, do away without and that you can just forget about the spiritual side because we're, we were created mind, body, spirit. Um, and I think that's for the whole, um, you know, everybody also uh, that's non-Hong um, also um, of that. It doesn't have to be a shaman, but with shamans, we are... Um, practitioners or spiritual practitioners as I call it so anybody can come to us for help you don't have to be of a certain religion or faith or ethnicity um, you can be anybody and um, you come and and the shamans who are comfortable will definitely help you I always find that explanation of mind body spirit really fascinating it's I think it's like a great way to sort of break down understanding the role of shamans as spiritual healers or like helping to provide spiritual guidance um, and um, kind of like circling back to um, you said, so you said you don't have to be like Hmong, you know, um, and I know that you work with like folks who aren't Hmong too all of the time. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about that? So um before I started doing this full time, um, I had my day job. I would come home, and at first it was just like uh, you know, Hmong people or the people of the community. And then eventually, uh, there are more and more cars and a lot more different ethnicities and people and strangers eventually um, coming to my house. And then so that that's why I ha- I opened my clinic or my office, the Healing Life Center, where anybody of all walks of life will feel comfortable coming to an office sitting mm-hmm. and not necessarily to my house, you yeah. know, and so that it doesn't feel so, um, what's the word, like shady, or <laughs> doesn't feel so awkward, right? Because uh-huh. um, they, because there's that trust trust element to yeah. it, because they want me to dwell into their life or or um, their illnesses, and it's very personal, so. It's more of a professional setting, almost. Right, right. You have your own office right. space. And, and also that, that trust, right? Yeah. And so that it, it doesn't feel so, um, um, odd that odd, you're just right, going right, to someone's, someone's house someone's living room <laughs> <laughs> which might not be normal for folks who aren't Hmong maybe right yeah. right right um um the past a year or, or two actually I've had a lot of my clients have actually been uh Muslims okay. so then they would and, and we all know they're they're very religious and spiritual and so so um that actually surprised me um when there, this great influx of them coming um to me to and see they were help. looking for it, like they help, were looking, this type of spiritual right, help. Right. I think within the Hmong community, 
there may all be saying that oh new was something that's totally undoable who opens up of office to shining mm-hmm. and but then i think it's yeah how do we bring shamanism into the 21st century right and this may be it you know mm-hmm. and so do you face any black glass prejudice from the community about like you know your new modern practices that you're incorporating yeah. into shamanism or have have you or have you not and then also any prejudices from the community that are non-mong but like you're saying you get a lot of non-mong clients now too mm-hmm. because of that yeah um when i first started um i i um i'm a little ashamed to admit with this but it's true um, when i first started i started it more as a um like a body work massage place i kind of this is the healing life this center. is the healing life center because i felt like i was afraid that people weren't ready for a shaman to say hey this is my practice mm-hmm. so after and at this time i was already a shaman for about six or seven years already so then after i kind of got people in from for like body work massage they're in pain they're gonna see me so then after that and then we started talking about energy work and they were open to that and then that was when probably i was already in business for like um having i don't want to call it clinic because it's it's taboo for our for our um uh, community but um so i think it was like probably the third year already when i kind of came out and said you know i don't want to deny this part of me anymore and i don't want to hide it so uh, the third year that i had my clinic i was full-blown out disclosure i'm a shaman whether you like it or not and if you want to see me great and if you don't just being unapologetic of who I was. Um, so it's not common um, um, that, I, that I'm aware of. You can't really search like um, shaman and they're like, oh, she has a clinic. Um, even nowadays, um, you know, the business license and everything known me as a holistic uh, practitioner, which is fine because um, pe- some people aren't comfortable with um, the whole aspect with the term of shaman. Um, and because and it goes back to the... Um, like the misconceptions or the um, not understanding of what shamans are because we're so old people think of us if you practice the traditional uh, Hmong religion um, people think of us as being backwards right mm-hmm. being a, like a traditionalist like we hate women like and things like that and, and I want people to know that um, I can't speak for all but um, there are a lot of us that have um, progress also along with time with modern times and again um, um having people come to my living room like not only is it awkward for the clients but me myself Mm -hmm. um i'm inviting all these strangers and gifts i mean guests from all over the state really some people are from the bay area la i mean people were coming from all over and they're in my living room you know and this is pre-covid right right this is pre-covid so it wasn't that scary yet but but now that i think about it um so i don't regret opening a clinic but definitely the first um two years um within my community um there was kind of they they were kind of saying wait like um is that okay um um and and definitely um the more traditional elders did kind of say well are you doing it for business but in my eyes i didn't see it as um i was doing it for money in my eyes i was saying um it was more of here's my place that i can help you um and you can come to me comfortably and not in my living room where my parents were listening or so so that there's this like um um privacy mm-hmm. uh, and and also just just respecting people's space have you talked to other shamans and they've opened up their own spaces like that too or 
like most of your colleagues, are they still practicing at home? I am not aware of anybody that has um, opened a clinic for people. I, I've heard of other people like having organizations, but most of them are still based from home or a place. So I don't know if anybody else, um, so inform me if I'm wrong, but um, that has a clinic that are shaman. That is a shaman. I think I've heard of another shaman temple here in Sacramento, but I'm not as familiar with their work. United Hmong Shaman Temple. Uh, one of the misconceptions about us who still utilizes the shaman, they say, oh, they don't die, right? And I was like, wow, that is a misconception. They, you don't die is, maybe you could say, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we carry on the old traditions where they always label us into, oh, so it's like, wait, how can you say and you know? And so I think it's that negative almost statement. like that term is a, a stereotype against yes, against people. people at already that hey, your culture, your is backwards, is backwards, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to being like, okay, if that is bad, why do we call it that? Our spirits are ghosts, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, it's not. Maybe they're ghosts. So I think that. No, I love it that you brought that up because it. Let's address it right now. Yeah. Um, a lot of my um, seminars that I do offer for to educate people and enlighten them on our culture and also shamanism is that is the very second or <laughs> slide that I have all the time for uh, monk speaking. Um, um, audience. And so let's um, um, get into what the word da means. Okay. So, so prime example, um, and let's say you have a suitcase and you're packing, you're going to Bora Bora. And I go, but yeah, uh, suitcase, right? Or I'm not saying, oh, there's a monster sitting in your suitcase. So the word dana, uh, it just means something invisible. Okay, oh, it just means something invisible. But oh. because nowadays, um, you know, being here in, in you know America, and we speak English, and they, we don't truly understand uh, all the words that we our use anymore. As much anymore. So most of the time, when our parents say, "Oh, there's a dot," right? We're like, "Oh, monster!" So Ghost. there's, there's, yes, right, right. So there's a bad connotation that uh-huh. among Mika have put on that to the word, word right? Yeah. But when the elders say "baked out dana," just it just means that we're spiritual because. We believe in the unforeseen. So it's not bad. It's a beautiful but we way made of putting it. it. We believe right? in the unforeseen. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's another thing. So I hope that more and more people will understand the word da because I get that over and over and over. So sure. it just means that we're going to go and um, bring an ancestor that has um, deceased to come and, and like protect us, right? Uh, we don't mean that we're going to go and pick up a demon and he's going to come and. <laughs> no, my God. No, right? But, but that's what that's what every youngster believes yeah, when they when they talk to me yeah. and so no that's we don't do that as, as so shamans we kill is, and I we, think that's a, we defend that's a great example of how um we're losing touch with like our culture and our language right because we grew up here in the u.s so for us is very like scary like oh my god da monster mm-hmm. ghost so mm-hmm. it becomes very scary but we lose right. like connection to all these other aspects of what that word means and now we've only carried on these negative aspects Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to go back and look at it to really expand the understanding that it actually means invisible which i never knew that's amazing that's very interesting but you've heard the term right oh Oh, uh, yeah yeah yeah. what is it like very very Mm -hmm. good way to look at it i'm just fascinated by how you know like um 
you heal and you work with communities that aren't Hmong, you know, um, and um, I'm fascinated by so many things that you do. But since that's the first thing on my mind, like, <laughs> can you talk more about that? Like you said that, you know, recently within the past few years, you've been getting a lot of Muslim clients. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is there anything more that you want to say? Like, that's fascinating because, you know, they um, come from um, a religion um, that, you know, they believe in Allah. And so how how does that like from my understanding a lot of these monotheistic religions only um like they don't necessarily reach out to like pagan healers or shamans and so what has that been like so uh let me backtrack a little okay um when um when I started, I never once thought that when I became a shaman, I was going to heal people of other faiths or, or um, even eth ethnicity. Mm -hmm. I really thought it was just going to be like, okay, just let me try to heal my family. And then if other um, people from our Hmong community comes and help, maybe them. So it was really fascinating for me when I started um, getting like, uh, for example, like Vietnamese and Chinese. They were the first ones that started coming. And... Um, and other races started coming after them. And I was in amazed, um, like I, I was just amazed in awe really that it that very um, event proved to me that my gift is not just particularly just for the Hmong community, that it's universal. Mm -hmm. And re so then that kind of goes back to the mind, body, and spirit. If you have a spirit, I can help you, basically. And so then that, that not just for other people, but for me, it broke down barriers and walls where uh, in the beginning it was just like, okay, they're not Hmong, then we can't help them. Mm -hmm. um, even though, um, you know, sometimes it's as simple as uh, blessed water or just a string, and that we know that in our culture we can help them, but because they're of a different faith or or ethnicity that uh, we can't because of that and then when um, they started coming to me I didn't I didn't have a choice I was just like okay they're here let me just let me just do this thing right mm -hmm. and then because when they came to me um, well, well the first case that came to me that was not Hmong was a um, um, he was in his early 20s and he was not able to walk but the doctors did not know what was wrong mm -hmm. and so long story short we figured that it was a spiritual component all spiritual and so after the blessed water and the string he was able to walk within a week so then nowadays you can't tell that he was like that but but again mind body spirit because it was mainly spiritual so obviously if he had um, other disorders then that would not have happened so let me let me clarify that mm -hmm. So, I mean, so then that made me realize like, wow, like I can see this. This is not something that we can kind of say, oh, it's like, um, like something in your mind, right? Like he thought it, he believed it. So maybe he, he was just able to walk because when he came to me, he wasn't able to walk for close to 12 years before he saw me. So, um, I mean, just things like that. So, um, um, after that, um, there, there are definitely certain things that you need to change if they're not from the community. Um, so for example, nine performances, if you've never seen something before, it can scare you or it can make you not feel comfortable. So for example, if they do need a nine performance, then I would rather they like, let's say, give me a shirt and I do that at my house and then we'll do the spiritual healing. Um, if I can bypass a nine performance with, let's say, blessed water or, or just energy work or just kind 
kind of um, like, you know, holding, but kind of listen to their uh, veins or so, right? Their, their artery, the heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, just things like, like the old world uh, uh, traditional Chinese technique. Um, um, so just things like that. So with other cultures, you have to be definitely um, be a lot more sensitive sure. to where they're coming from. Okay. So with the, with the Muslims, when they first came to me, um, the first one came about like five, six years ago, but it's just the past about two years that there was a lot of them that are coming so even even um for them and some of the um most of them are repeat customers but some of them are new and when they come to me they're not comfortable at all but okay. yeah and like, they don't come to me and go you know what here's my issue and you deal with it no no <laughs> they come to me and they're super cautious and they yeah. always go in our you know culture we can do this but we can't do that okay. and then and i always um i'm always super respectful and then i ask them what are What's the scope that I can help you with? Okay. What are you comfortable with? Sure. It doesn't matter if I can do this, this or that way. What are you comfortable with? And what is it that you're looking for oh, uh, for me? And then so from me, and when they tell me that, and then I, so I know and I see what I can do to help them in their comfort level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes if I need to push a little, I'll push a little. But majority of the time, I'm very respectful. So that's how, um, you know, that happens. Um, and that's how I'm, I'm, I'm able to help these clients because, um, by the time that, and mo- majority of the time, when they're at my door, remember, I'm, um, I <laughs> called myself the last resort girl. So by the time that they're in my clinic, normally they've been trying, like I'm like the fifth spiritual practitioner or somebody. So wow. then they feel um, like there's no hope and they try. And I y'all. Oh, so then I they're see. trying to come and to see if anything will help them. And also when I am able to, then that's when words get out and that's when they're. They um, tell other people. Yeah, they tell other people. And most of these clients who are not from, um, you know, uh, uh, the same background like Baina, uh, they actually question their faith a lot after mm. me. Because they always tell me that we're taught like only this type can heal us and this type can heal, but you're not. So why is it that you can help me when you're not from my religion? And that that question is very common, very, very common um, that I would get after I help someone. And this is my answer to um, them and also everyone who's listening is that um, whether who it doesn't matter what and who you believe in, we all are a part of the human race. And again, it goes back to um, what I said earlier. If you have a spirit and you have spirituality, I can definitely help you. How do like your clients approach you? They don't need to provide anything. They just need to come and um, set an appointment, obviously, j- just like any regular office if you're going to visit. So you just set an appointment. You just come. Um, if the um, uh, people are, are of uh, our community, Hmong community, nah, um, they f- they definitely feel better if they want to bring incense, shots, paper, the whole gamma. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's okay. They can. But I don't require it just for... Uh, everybody's uh, sake it's a lot easier because like a lot of the youngsters nowadays it's a lot harder for them to know what to buy so that's how I do it along the lines of you breaking barriers and kind of like moving shamanism forward in some way and sense um like you're you're a female shaman and so um you've you've kind of mentioned already that like you've had to work within the bounds of patriarchy which we've talked about on the show um and how that creates limitations for women um in within Hmong culture and um you know in some of our conversations you have mentioned that 
um, you've sort of helped women and helped to heal women um, from this sort of patriarchal society. So can you expand on that and talk a little bit more? Because I think that's just so fascinating to some of the questions I have about like, how do we move Hmong culture forward? Okay. Um, that's definitely, since the beginning, um, I definitely felt that it was my duty to um, change it for the better. Um, I, I'm practicing, this is my field, it is my, um, you know, duty, my, I have to do this for those who are coming behind me, and for those already who are a part of the culture. Um, so first and foremost, the first thing that people, um, that I didn't really think that would have so much effect on women but you know me being the shaman and after um, the name performance like we all sit on the same table so what I normally do is I kind of like bring in some of the other ladies too and I have so many women crying to me like I thought that I would never see this in my in my lifetime seeing like women and men on the same table and I'm like wait I didn't even think of that I was just like hey come on let's just sit I'm here right so I mean that was one of the first things that I saw and then I um and this is like the first year of me practicing Mm -hmm. and then after that I realized like you know I need to do bigger things and if I can have this platform where this family this thing can never sit on the same table and I was able to do that to me being born here it wasn't a big deal but for her um you know probably being her 70s now um to see that she didn't think that it was possible in her lifetime right so what else can I do to affect um younger women and also women in general um to help them have a better understanding and also to feel better about our um culture and religion so one of the things that I've been doing for approximately 10 years now is that um, women uh, who are divorcees, uh, sometimes um, they're, if their clan is super traditional, um, if they never remarried uh, and they're in the clan, so let's say they're from the Lee clan and they're married to the Yangs, but then they're divorced and they're back to the Lee. So then sometimes, uh, like during the funeral, um, I remember um, people of my mom's generation, which is like 70s and late 60s right now, um, would always say, oh, I can't divorce him. I have to stay in this abuse the relationship because when I pass away um, you know I'm going to be a wandering spirit and I tell myself no I'm a shaman I can do something about this right so and, and it wasn't just overnight I'm a very cautious person I researched I talked to the elders and everybody and no one can tell me why or that it would um, like ruin a clan mm-hmm. so I uh, I've been doing that for 10 years so what I would do is and it depends on the family how they want to handle it too but what I would do is as simple how does she go out right low uh light now or they call the ancestors and say hey she's no longer part of the family so what do i do um you know um, i do a new performance to take care of any negative energy or anything that's following her from her husband's side and then what we do is just hopefully and then simple as that her dad or brother whoever just money light nana and she's back that's okay. it as simple as that it's not hard it's not it doesn't take and and it's it doesn't cost like two thousand dollars no it's like it's simple anybody can do it if she remarries so what right um but if she doesn't then um now that if anything happens to her um that she will feel safe and secure and she won't stay in abusive relationship just because she's afraid that when she passed she may be a wandering spirit and just to provide some context for listeners who aren't long when you get married your spirit Mm -hmm. is actually transferred to your husband's side of the family and so there's this fear within some of the older um 
women and older folks that, you know, if you leave your husband or if you divorce, then you don't have an, a clan or an ancestral lineage to go to in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so the service... You, have, you don't have a place to stay. You don't have a place. Yeah. yeah. They say if you divorce... You're still part of their clan, but then now your husband disowns you, mm-hmm. and so he won't perform the right rituals to uphold your spirit. Or During your, your funeral. funeral. Yes. Yeah. And then you become a wandering spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some men would say, oh, but she has her son. Her son will do it. And then that's pretty patriarchal, too. <laughs> but now I think I think with Susan, you know, bringing this up, and, you know, I think it's just a way for woman to feel at ease that hey yeah there's a possibility possibility because that belief has always held people from leaving abusive relationships and also it's very detrimental to a lot of monk sisters because they said like back to a term i used before like you know they're not gonna be part of your they're always going to be moving to another or or another or another lineage you know and so I think, yeah, this is something that could be say, hey, it's doable, and look, we just need to do it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. It's doable. Yes. So you have already kind of talked to us about the Healing Life Center. Um, so why don't you expand on that a little bit more? And then I know you also have a nonprofit, Uplift the Human Spirit. So maybe you can tell us more about that. So... Um, Uplift the Human Spirit, um, I created or I founded that nonprofit just to do good and in our community and um, to kind of like um, give faith and hope back to our community. There's a lot of this like mistrust and a lot of things that were um, that have been mishandled or in our community. There's this like constant fear and not being able to ask for help or or just not being seen. So for <clears throat> our nonprofit, um, um, what we're and we're located in Stockton. So one of the things that we do is um, every year we do a food uh, pantry or food give out um, to our um, residents here, the Hmong residents there. And what we do, we uh, focus on food that um, our people are more interested or what the, what they desire, such as you know a bag of fifty pound rice, right? Yeah. So each family will get that along with you know um, like like whatever it is that you think that a Hmong family would rather prefer um that's what we do that's one things um one thing that we do we also do like the Hmong literacy program during the summer well due to covid we haven't been operating but what we do is um you know we not only is it important for people to learn who they are their history and why they're here but also we want to empower these students to be um prideful of mm-hmm. who they are know yourself right and right. your history right. wow. <laughs> yeah. well thank no you history. for joining us today yeah. susan thank and, you uh, continuing to be a p- pioneer for all <laughs> yes thank you so much and um definitely if you guys are interested check out uplift the human spirit along with the healing life center thank you and this is mongus a podcast produced by Hmong american media located in sacramento california Sponsored by Hmong Organizing for Progress and Empowerment Center, the Hope Center, along with Culture Through Cloth. 